A journal found by our protagonist, Jace, recounts the ever-growing madness his friend succumbs to over his passion for Nicole. But is it Nicole that has done this? Is it in his own mind that has taken him down the path of madness, depravity, and despair? What lengths will a person go to and what manner of creature will he listen to to ensure that he keeps her and her love safe? Today we finish off the grotesque, a tale that is both sad and disturbing and entirely possible in our world to take place. Warning, this episode has a significant amount of swearing and covers adult themes, not for little ears, folks. And a huge thank you to my three white tea warlords, Matthew J. Bauer, Maya, and Divided by Zero. Just like white teammates, you are one rare type of supporter. Your donations are directly and positively impacting the show on a daily basis. Thank you so, so much. And my ill-grained forces, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lee Bauer, Lorraine Crisanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, and Peter Raffaelli, who keep the lights on and the blood pumping. Thank you for your support. Now turn the lights off, listeners. The sound up. And if you see an ugly, horrific statue in your house, don't confide in it. Don't talk to it. But most of all, don't listen to it. Day 7, Monday. Dr. Chen totally approves of the grotesque. She recommended I keep it in my room and that I talk to it telling up my worries and what is making me angry. I think it's going to give me something to vent at when I'm not calm enough to write it in this journal. It sounded pretty hippy-dippy, but when Nicole texted me earlier this evening to say she wasn't feeling well and didn't want to hang out tonight, I began talking to the little clay creature about how that upset me, and afterwards, I felt oddly better. I wonder if Nicole talks to hers too. Day 8, Tuesday Nicole still wasn't feeling well today, reckons it is the start of flu or something, and didn't meet me for lunch. I decided to go over to help and bring her some food and flu remedies from the pharmacy. I don't mind, just getting to see her is enough for me. In the supermarket I took much longer than I normally would, agonizing over which juice she might prefer and what would be the best soup to bring her. It felt so important to get everything perfect, because she is perfect. When I got to her building, I almost sprinted up the stairs to her fourth floor apartment. I had butterflies in my stomach waiting at the door. She answered wearing a dressing gown. Her eyes looked a little watery and her nose was chapped and a little red from tissues, but she still looked amazing. She said she didn't want to kiss me in case I caught her flu. I didn't care if I caught it. I'd catch plague for her. We watched TV and talked all afternoon in the evening. I asked her if she talks to her grotesque. She does. Day 9, Wednesday. Nicole wanted to spend the day in bed recovering from flu. I spent the day with Jace and our friend Kenny and Chris. Went to the game store, second-hand record store, talked a bit. Wonder when Nicole will be feeling better again. I texted her a couple of times, only got one reply. Hope she's okay. 
it might not sound like much, but that was the first day in what seemed like ages that I was able to convince Pat to come out with us for more than an hour or so. He didn't talk much, and we all found that strange. He was never normally so quiet, and although he seemed alive with energy, so much so that it seemed his body twitched with the effort to contain it, nothing seemed to interest him for more than nothing seemed to interest him for more than a couple of seconds. It was like he just didn't care. Like something was preying on his mind, driving him to distraction. We were all worried and told him so, but uh, he shrugged it off. Day 10, Thursday. Nicole is feeling better. I went round earlier and we had breakfast together. I offered to cancel my appointment with Dr. Chen this afternoon so we could spend more time together, but she said she needed to go into work after taking these days off sick. This kinda annoyed me. I'm willing to make sacrifices in my life to put her first, but she doesn't seem willing to do the same. I went to my session. Today, Dr. Chen talked about releasing rage. She said anger was like a poison, and it was better out than in. She explained that people have a misguided view that controlling your anger means you are disciplined. But in fact, people who can find the focus of their rage and direct it accurately can channel untouched power beyond anything they've ever done before. It's when anger spills out all over the place that things get messy. That makes sense to me. I had to admit this is not what I expected from counseling. Day 11 and 12, Friday night and Saturday. I'm not really in the mood to write an update. Ugh, what the hell. Went out tonight with Nicole for a party. Was excited to introduce her to my friends. Everything was fine at first. Jason didn't seem impressed. I thought he'd be supportive of my new relationship. I'm really happy with Nicole. Everyone else thought she was great, of course. In fact, I think a few guys were a little too friendly with her. In fact, I'm sure they were trying to flirt with her. Was she flirting back? I don't know. I had to leave before Jason could notice and rub it in my face. He is just jealous because I found the perfect girl. He'll try to pick it apart. He made fun of me when I told him I felt something really special for Nicole. I can't give him a chance to prove he was right for not taking me seriously because... I love Nicole. I honestly have no idea where he got the idea that I would try to pick his relationship apart. I was happy for Pat. A little concerned for him, sure, but Nicole seemed really nice, and I was pleased for them both. He had seemed on edge that night, didn't drink much, didn't socialize much. Nicole was being friendly, chatting to a bunch of us guys and girls. I didn't notice her flirt with anyone, but at around midnight, he pulled her to one side. I heard them having a hushed but agitated conversation, and they abruptly left. It hurts me imagining Pat saw me as someone who would resent his newfound happiness. That must have been why he was so resistant to the help I tried to offer him later on. Ah, <sighs> no wonder. Oh, it all makes sense. Day 13, Sunday. I feel shitty. Last entry was in the early hours of day 12 after that party. Waste of time. My friends are all idiots. I fell asleep as afternoon was approaching and slept the day away at Nicole's apartment. It is so wonderful being in bed next to her. She was a bit upset that I had wanted to leave the party early the other night, but I explained that I just wasn't comfortable and 
she accepted it. She's so understanding. I felt immediately better once we were alone. We lay in bed as we normally do, with me spooning her soft, slim frame, one arm draped around her waist, holding her hand tightly. I feel so safe there. So calm. Day 14. Met Jason at class today. He didn't meet my eye. I suddenly felt a stab of guilt for being such a jerk to him the other night. I apologized. He said it was cool. I didn't explain everything to him though, just in case. I had another appointment with Dr. Chen this afternoon. She asked me if I was acting on my anger, but acting appropriately, I said I thought so. She said I must offer kindness to those who deserve it instead of wasting love on ingrates. When walking in open territory, bother no one. If someone bothers me, ask him to stop. If he does not stop, destroy him. What strange advice. It kind of makes sense, though. Day 15, Tuesday. I can't stand living in the dorms anymore. The constant noise of other people's music. Their footsteps, muffled conversation reverberating through the walls. It's driving me crazy. I can't switch off anymore. There's no silence, no peace to be had anywhere in these buildings. I've been talking to my grotesque. I've named him Chen, after Dr. Chen. And it really seems to help to have a face to vent to, even if it is an ugly one. I think I'm going to ask Nicole if I can stay with her for a while. Day 16, Wednesday. I stayed last night with Nicole. It was great. I felt so comfortable around her. I feel like there is this wire coil wound tightly in my chest all the time. But when I'm with her, it unwinds and I can relax. I didn't bring little Chen with me. He is still on the shelf in my dorm room. I've heard Nicole whispering to her little goblin creature sometimes. It is pretty cute. The whispering, not the grotesque. Unlike the one she gave me, which looks like a cartoon gnome. Hers is truly hideous, though. Actually, quite scary despite its tiny size. It has this wide, flat head and lantern jaw, bristling with what looks like a row of shark's teeth. Its body is gaunt and elongated, arched into an awkward crouch. It has no nose and all of its skin is smooth and white. Wait, what am I talking about? Skin? I mean, what is it made of? It's entirely white. <laughs> Apart from its eyes, they are small and beady, and totally black. I don't know how she can take comfort from that, but she seemed to tell everything. We didn't see Pat for several days from this point on. I will just paste his entries as I read them, as there is no further explanation of the next few days that I can offer, and for that, I apologize. Day 17, Thursday. I got a text from my friend Jessica this morning. Nicole saw it on my phone and asked who Jessica was. No, not asked. Demanded. I explained Jessica was just a friend, wanting to know how I was because I'd been missing a few classes recently. I don't know if Nicole believed me or not. To tell you the truth, I'm hurt. Genuinely. I don't know why she would mistrust me. Haven't I given her every reason to have faith in my feelings for her? I talked to Dr. Chen about it at my session this afternoon. 
She says being quick to suspicion can be a sign of a guilty conscience. Could Nicole have something to hide? Day 18 Friday. I'm positive now. Nicole isn't being entirely honest with me. I don't even know if she shares my feelings. She has been less and less talkative, sort of irritable. I asked her if it was her time of the month, and she told me not to be so fucking sexist. I don't know what her problem is. She's been talking to a grotesque again, and texting on her phone a lot. She gives me a dirty look when I look at my phone. I think she might be cheating on me. I walked into her living room earlier this evening, and she closed the windows on her laptop really quickly. She's hiding something. I just know it. Day 19, Saturday. Had to go to a catch-up class today, because I've been missing so many lectures. I woke up this morning feeling heavy. I didn't sleep well. My dreams are chaotic. A lunatic showreel of discordant sounds and images, I seem to expel more energy asleep than awake. Regardless, I still had to drag my sorry ass into class this afternoon. Nicole went to work. She hardly said goodbye this morning. Hmm, I'm sure she's cheating on me. Maybe, with the manager from work. I don't know, but I know she's hiding something from me. Class today was pointless. I didn't absorb anything. I couldn't focus my mind. Is it any wonder? I could hardly hear the lecturer over the sound of people breathing, whispering, the scratching of pens against paper, the rattling click of keyboards, the humming of the heating system, footsteps in the hall outside of the classroom, the shuffling of bodies in their seats, their clothes rustling, people clearing their throats, sighing. I swear I could practically hear their hearts beating. Ugh, my head hurts. Walking back to Nicole's apartment in the early evening, I felt like the shadows lengthened faster than normal for this time of year, as if they were reaching out to touch me as I hurried along the quiet streets. I didn't see anyone around, but I felt watched. I'm starting to wish she lived nearer to the college, or at least a busier side of town. She still isn't home. She should have finished work over an hour ago. <sighs> what is she up to? Day 20, Sunday. I'm at the end of my chain with Nicole. When I confronted her last night about how she'd been out hours after her work had finished, she just brushed my question aside as if it didn't matter. When I pushed the issue, she snapped at me, said she had gone to a bar called Catalan with her friend after work, said she was tired of me always wanting to stay in on the weekends, not letting her have her fun. I asked her what friend? A guy friend? She said, so what if it was? I don't get her. Why is she acting like this? I have done everything I can for her and now she's treating me like I don't even matter. Doesn't she understand? The only reason I want to go out anymore is because I want to protect her. To be alone with her. Because I love her. She refused to discuss things any further, went to bed without me. That's what she does when she wants to end a discussion, just goes to bed. Ignores me if I follow her and keep talking. I don't know what to do. I followed her to work today. I know she only went in on a Sunday to avoid me. I sat in my car across the street from the coffee shop all damn day. 
Nicole seemed so casual, bright and carefree. I could tell she wasn't even thinking about our fight last night. When her manager came out around lunchtime, she was all smiles. He was leaning over her shoulder as she was writing something behind the register. He was way too close, and she seemed so comfortable with it. That settles it. I know she's fucking him. Day 21, Monday. I didn't go to my appointment with Dr. Chen today. She never calls if I don't show up. It's like it doesn't make a difference. I don't know why I'm even still writing this journal, but weirdly, it does seem to help clear my mind. I can get things straight to when I write them down. I feel like my brain is full of static right now. After seeing Nicole cozying up to that guy yesterday, I decided to follow her after work in my car. The coffee shop closed at the usual time, and sure enough, she left with him. They got a cab to the bar Nicole had mentioned the other night, Catalan. It looked like a cheap tuppers and beers place, a lot of tacky red lights around the entrance. I didn't follow them inside, just sat in my car and stared at those bright red lights. Even through the glass of my car windows, I felt as though I could almost hear, even feel, the buzzing of the electrical fuses inside those crimson bulbs. The vivid, constant brilliance of those red lights seared into my mind, mocking me with the knowledge that just past their glow was the woman I loved and another man, doing God knows what in that tacky low-rent bar. I could feel my heart thumping in my chest, my breathing becoming raspy. I gripped the steering wheel so tight, my knuckles went white. The buzz of the electric light was drowned out now. As I could hear my pulse pounding in my inner ears, I was aware of all these things clearly enough to consciously take note of them in my mind, but didn't seem able to snap out of it. I felt sick with anger, jealousy, betrayal. I wanted to know how she could do this, what I had done to deserve this kind of treatment. But at the same time, I didn't care to hear any explanation, any empty apologies. I wanted her to know how much she was hurting me. I don't remember much after that. I think I must have driven back to Nicole's apartment and slept on the couch. That is where I woke up. After a quick glance into the still dark bedroom, I saw that she had come home and gone to bed without me again. It was then that I realized I wasn't wearing the same jeans and shirt I had on yesterday. I'd changed at some point last night. I also had a headache, and my mouth tasted gross. I couldn't remember what I'd done when I got back to the apartment. Checking the kitchen, though, sure enough, there was an almost empty bottle of Jameson's on the counter, and in the washing machine were my clothes from the previous night, still wet from washing. I then had a terrible thought. Had I been so jealous of what I'd seen last night that I decided to go out myself, get drunk and cheat on Nicole? I remember a while back when I cheated on this girl I'd been dating. We hadn't had anything special, but I still wanted to avoid the drama of getting caught. So I'd washed all my clothes from the previous night before she came over to guarantee there would be no lipstick marks or telltale smells of perfume on my clothes from the other chick. I went to the bedroom to take a piss and brush the rank taste of the night before out of my mouth. I glanced into the mirror over the sink and noticed a few red marks on my cheek and neck. Oh fuck! I must have hooked up with some chick. I have entirely no memory of who though. 
The marks were a bright crimson red, a color way too slutty to be Nicole's lipstick. They reminded me of the glow of the red lights outside Bar Catalan. My whole mind seemed to be filled with red right now. It hurts my head. I'm pretty sure Nicole figured out what I did last night, and that is why she is ignoring me. Oh, fuck. Day 22, Tuesday. Jace called me this morning and insisted I come out and meet him. I didn't want to, but Nicole still isn't speaking to me. She is just lying in bed and wouldn't even respond when I tried to talk to her. Her little grotesque figurine isn't on the dresser where it normally is. She must have taken it to bed with her to talk about what I did. I think she is really upset with me. If she has figured out that I cheated on her, I'm not surprised. How could I have been such a moron? Anyway, I couldn't stand sitting in the apartment in silence. TV hurts my head and I can't concentrate enough to make a start on any of the huge pile of neglected college work I've left sitting on the coffee table. So I met up with Jace. None of our other friends were there. Which I was kind of grateful for. Jace kept giving me weird, freaky looks out of the corner of his eye. Like he expected me to burst into flames or something. He seemed totally on edge around me. I don't get it. I tried to explain a little about what was going on, but he didn't seem to follow any of what I was telling him, even though I'm sure I was explaining it as clearly as possible. It was like we were talking in different languages. After a couple of hours, he said he had to get back to his dorm. He had an assignment to do, but insisted that if I needed to talk again, I just had to text or call. Sure, Jace, I'll call if I need to talk to someone who will just give me creeped out looks and hardly respond. Thanks a lot. Now, here I feel, again, need to jump in and provide a little dose of reality. I remember that day with Pat as clear as crystal. I should do. It was the last time him and I spent any time together. I did not think I was acting strangely toward him. If I was, I am sincerely sorry that it made him feel he couldn't talk to me. But you need to understand, he was rambling gibberish. Most of what he said was just broken sentences, paranoia and resentment leaking through between the nonsense. He was jumpy, and that made me jumpy. He wouldn't maintain eye contact, and when I was talking to him, he'd appear to be listening and then suddenly whirl around to stare behind him, and then you'd realize he'd actually been totally ignoring you, listening out for something. Eventually, I couldn't take it anymore. I made my excuse and left. I really meant it when I told him to call or text, though. Of course, he never did. Day 23, Wednesday. I'm starting to feel this journal is the only place I can talk about what is going on in my life. I don't feel safe talking to anyone. Not my friends. Not Dr. Chen. I've decided not to return to my sessions with her. It was after I started that so-called counseling that all of this shit started to happen. She hasn't been in touch since I stopped attending either. And I've realized I don't even have a phone number for her. <sighs> Whatever. Nicole still won't say a damn word to me. I think she is depressed. She hasn't gotten out of bed the whole time I've been here. I went out for a walk earlier to try and clear my head. Just a brief one though as the streets around here seem shadier than normal to me. She must have gotten up while I was out and then got back to bed. I feel so alone. And yet somehow watched. The shadows in the apartment seem darker than is natural. I've begun to dread sunset. Daylight seems to be my only friend. As soon as night comes, and I have to rely on my electric light, I am tortured by the buzzing of the fuses, 
and I swear the lights dim and flicker as and when they choose. It creates more shadows than is necessary, and not just in shades of grey. As I sit there and write this, I am convinced that just out of the corner of my eye, there in the darkness, that is much too dark, blacker than anything found in nature, the kind of pitch that comes from a shadow concealing something. I know that if I stare directly into it, my eyes will eventually focus, revealing nothing. But for some reason I cannot force myself to turn and look, my spine is frozen. Because if I do turn, I will have shown fear. And whatever is watching me, whatever it is, will know I am scared. Day 25, Friday. It has started watching me during the day now. I can't even sleep on the couch with the blinds drawn and sunlight pouring into the living room. I am still watched. Nicole acts as though I don't exist, just laying in bed, not responding to anything I say. I pace her apartment, trying to relieve some of the frustration and anxiety. I'm beginning to feel crushed beneath the guilt, the confusion, the fear. I know she knows what I did, and I know she's told that fucking grotesque creature. I don't know where it is. It is still missing from its spot on the dresser. I can see most of the bedside table from the bedroom door, even in the half-light, and it isn't there either. I am beginning to feel convinced that it is the present I can sense watching me, following me with its dreadful beady eyes. I can see or perhaps feel the outline of its hideous, deformed features in the shadows. In the corners of every room, its bony contorted form disappearing just behind a turn in the corridor, or evaporating from view in the crack of a door left ajar, always there, always gone as soon as I get within my line of sight. And although the figurine is only ever a few inches high, I swear, I swear, it is growing, feeding on my fear. I can smell it too. This foul odor has begun to gradually taint the whole apartment. It is trying to drive me insane with anxiety and exhaustion. It is punishing me for hurting Nicole. Day 26, Saturday. I cried today. Cried the agonizing tears of hysterical despair. Nicole will not talk to me, but I cannot bring myself to approach her in bed to demand a response. To shake her violently until she looks at me. I am too ashamed, too crippled with my own self-loathing that I am the one who, through my own selfish actions, pushed her into a depression so deep she cannot move from her bed. I still have not slept. I barely close my eyes for more than a fraction of a second. I can't afford to let my guard down. It is getting closer. The grotesque has grown overnight. Yesterday it was a flicker. A silhouette, never taller than the natural extended shadow of the figurine. It would sneak behind corners and watch me with its empty black eyes, its rancid sweet stink wafting in and filling my nostrils, burning my throat. Today, its smell is filling the apartment, but I did not see it all day. I stayed in the sunlight, the rays warming my skin and banishing excess shadows, but not calming me. I haven't eaten in several days, haven't been able to eat. It is making me weak. While in the comparative safety of the sunlight, I went into the kitchen and tried to eat a sandwich. It tasted hardly of anything. Swallowing was difficult. 
the muscles in my throat didn't seem to want to cooperate. After gulping down a glass of water to try and flush the food in my stomach, I was overcome with nausea. I sprinted to the bathroom and dropped to my knees, hugging the cold porcelain bowl, the rough chunks of my own meal for three days forcing their way back up my gullet. The water I had drunk still cold as it flooded my mouth and splashed into the toilet. After spitting a couple of times and clearing my throat, I got shakily back to my feet. I turned on the cold water in the sink and washed my face. As I straightened up and looked into the bathroom mirror, I felt my heart lurch in my chest. I blinked and it was gone. But there is no denying that for that sliver of a fraction of a second, there was the figure of the grotesque behind me, just outside the bathroom door. Its crooked form stood taller than any human now, long limbs and pallid body crouching almost double under the confines of the apartment ceiling. Its low-slung jaw gaping wide, revealing the vicious, jagged teeth of no earthly creature, its cavernous mouth, like a black hole into oblivion, waiting to swallow all living things. It seemed almost eyeless, only two slightly shining points in its huge, warped, waxy head. No iris or pupils to follow, but there was no question that it was staring directly at me. Before my brain could comprehend the instinctive terror of being the prey, searing through my body like shards of ice piercing outward from my heart, it was gone again. I stood there, motionless, breathless, for what seemed like an eternity before I had the courage to peer, trembling into the corridor to see nothing. The smell of it is overpowering now. I could hardly breathe, but I still tried to beg for forgiveness from Nicole in the hope that she would call the thing off. I approached her bedside. It was so dark. I reached my hand out to hold hers. All I felt was the cold, moist skin of the grotesque under my fingers, and I ran from the room feeling the shadows writhe around me. I know that to try and leave would only anger the thing more. Oh, please, God, help me. Protect me from the vengeance of this creature. I am so sorry for what I've done. Do not let it punish me further. Day 26, Saturday, the final journal. I concede. I am a wreck. I am broken. The grotesque has won, and rightly so. Nicole told me that she told it everything, that it would protect her. It has seen inside of me. Its hollow eyes have violated my very soul, and it has found me unworthy of her. I am doomed by my own actions. It will never let me leave. She will not leave her bed. I cannot leave this apartment, even if someone comes to find us. I am beyond help now. So yes, that was the last entry posted in the journal. From the date on it, I could see that it was six days before the police eventually broke down the door to Nicole's apartment. A neighbor had complained of a foul smell seeping under the door and through the walls, and her manager at the coffee shop, who she was clearly friendly with, began asking those in the building if anyone knew where she was. Eventually, someone called the police. Pat's parents were called, obviously, and they called me, I suppose. 
as we had been best friends, and we visited him in hospital. The police said that upon forcing the door of the apartment, they had been hit with a wave of sickening, putrid air, and they had found Pat, curled up in a corner of the living room, unwashed and half-starved. Every light in the apartment switched off. He was mumbling to himself, his eyes wide and roaming around the walls, seemingly unaware of the police intrusion until they tried to help him to his feet, whereupon he began thrashing, wildly, screaming, not to be punished. This had confused them at first, until they continued their sweep of the apartment and entered the bedroom, which was the source of the horrific and overpowering smell. Swinging the door inward, a massive cloud of flies was disturbed and filled the air, landing on the walls and ceiling. Approaching the bed, they saw what appeared to be a figure asleep until someone switched on the overhead light. It was the body of Nicole. At an advanced stage of decomposition, her flesh nearly liquefied and saturating the bedsheets. Her dark brown hair was a tangled mess spread over the pillow. Swept back to reveal the obvious cause of death. Blunt force trauma to the skull. The entire right side of her head caved in with what appeared to be a small but heavy white stone figurine. She had apparently put up something of a fight as her fingernails were split from clawing at her attacker. The cream-coloured wallpaper was stained a brownish red with huge splatter marks of now crumbling congealed blood as she had obviously been struck several times with the ornament. Pat was immediately arrested and taken directly to hospital. I feel utterly useless sitting in the uncomfortable plastic chair, under the fluorescent hospital lighting, looking at the figure strapped to the bed. I didn't recognize him, could hardly understand a word he said. I picked out red and grotesque, that's about it. I wasn't going to be any help to his parents or the police, I told them everything I could, but I don't think it amounted to much. Someone had tried to find contact details of Dr. Chen, of which I'd informed them that Pat was seeing her, but there was no listed phone number and nobody could find any records of a counsellor or therapist locally under that name. She seemed to have disappeared, if she ever existed in the first place. Since nobody else ever saw her, it now seems entirely possible she was just a figment of what was turning out to be Pat's very fractured mind. As far as anyone could tell, Pat had gone insane with jealousy, bludgeoned to death that night, after she got home from the bar. Whether he was already drunk when he killed her was up for debate, but he had certainly gotten drunk and either before or afterward, proceeded to wash his bloodstained clothes and cut off all contact with the outside world. Convincing himself, she was just sleeping. Even now, he didn't seem to be aware of what he had done, concerned more about being pursued by some creature. Initially, police and doctors had assumed his impassioned pleas not to be punished were directed at the authorities in relation to his crime. It is only now that I begin to hear them, echoed in my head, in an entirely different context. The press obviously got wind of the bizarre nature of the incident, and by the second night, Pat was under observation, and there were a couple of reporters loitering in the hospital lobby. I had ducked by them quickly, but glancing back saw that Pat's parents weren't as quick, and had been cornered. 
and I felt a painful lump in my throat as I saw their faces twisted in confusion and grief as they were bombarded with questions. I began to walk back to try and offer some kind of distraction to the reporters so that perhaps Pat's mother and father could slip away unnoticed. Is it true he smashed her head in with a gargoyle? Crudely demanded one of the reporters, pushing forward a recorder. No. I interrupted before Pat's father had a chance to say no or tell him to fuck off, or even take a deserving swipe at the man's head. I think it's called a grotesque. To my knowledge, the object is still sitting in an evidence locker somewhere. Though I know it had no power itself, I can't help but take some comfort in the knowledge it is locked away forever. Wowza, such a great story. As I read through this tale, when did it click to you that he had murdered Nicole? That the flies were the shadows, the stench her body, and the weakness in him derived from not eating anything. For me, when Pat mentioned the stench, I clued in. But I wasn't so sharp on the shadows and what made them up. His hallucinations of the grotesque had me wondering and second-guessing if what he was seeing was actually real. Or a hallucination, in fact. So that was a neat twist. The horrible part is, assuming that the object wasn't in fact cursed. That it was indeed the unknown trigger to send Pat off into the deep end. It's just awful and scarily possible. Mates, have a kick-ass weekend. I'm going to be with you next Monday and hunting for a different kind of story. So stick with me then. Stay awesome. Which isn't hard for you guys and gals. And as always, till next, we meet.